Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a podcast that I am already having fun with from the pre-show, which is Kara Vival. So Kara is the founder and CEO of Laptop Lifestyle Lawyer, also the founder and CEO of Vival Law. And we had a really interesting conversation the other week, and I'm looking forward to continue it because I am going to be the one asking the questions this time. And I love your story from what I've heard of so far, but um, thank you so much for being on the show, Kara. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share with you. This is like the work of my, uh, you know, this is my passion work, the work of my life, the purpose that I was uh, pretty much conceived for. So I love being here and doing this work. So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's get right to it. I was doing a little bit of pre-show research and I, I really like one of the taglines, which is also the headline for your book. And that's 28,000 days. So I wanted to ask, it's kind of interesting. I saw an ad on Facebook the other day and it was for a calendar that was all the weeks in somebody's life. So, you know, this sort of idea of finality, which some people find depressing, but I wanted to ask you about, you know, why that was something that resonated so much with you. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Haiti, right? And um, I'm not going to give you my entire backstory, but you know, my father actually was uh, taken out of the game when I was 14 years old and he was 42. So my first encounter with how tragically and fast life could end was then. And fast forward, when I was 31 years old, I found out that I had a subconscious mind, right? And I found out that you create your life and that you can have whatever you want out of life if you just take control of your mind and um, direct your energy towards the things that really would be equivalent or would lead you to that life you want. And when I looked at the days of our lives, we don't have as many as we think we do. Because my dad thought he had a whole life ahead of him, but it got cut short at 42. And the average human being lives about 75 years, which is about 28,000 days. And when you look at it from that perspective, it kind of puts a little fire under you to get to it. Because many of us feel like, you know, oh, I have time. I'll do this later. Uh, No, you don't. You know, you're not, (laughs) we're not getting out of here alive. We're all here on borrowed time. I say many times that we're all here born. We come with one thing for sure. We have our death certificate in our back pocket. We just don't know what dates on it. Right. And that's where I draw my, my uh, drive from is this understanding that this is not a dress rehearsal. We're live. This is the one life I get. Right. And I want to fill it with as much as possible. I want to discover as many of the gifts and talents that have been buried in me and use them because I don't want to die with my music unplayed. Yeah, hundred percent. And I want to ask as far as like, and this might be a weirdly tactical question, but like after you made that discovery, what did you stop doing? Oh, so many things. I stopped, <laughs> I stopped settling. That's for sure. I stopped 
I stopped wasting my time on things that didn't matter on, um, I stopped dwelling on things that I had no control over. I stopped focusing on my past and what I did or could have done better. Um, I drew, I started drawing from my life and my, my past, all the lessons really, and all of the assets that those, those um, mistakes or whatever that um, I used to actually dwell on, I drew all of the lessons out of that so that I can create more and not, you know, obviously recreate the same patterns. I think what was super uh, enlightening for me was the understanding that life had been happening for me and not to me. And so once I understood that and I got that everything that has happened up to this point was to equip me for what's coming up, you know, the coming attractions of life, then it was a completely different game and it was a different um, allocation of my time and energy. And I was able to also go back and look at the patterns that were no longer working so that I didn't bring them back in. So I'll just give you an example. I had a pattern that I realized around money. Like it didn't matter how much money I made. Somehow I made it all disappear. Like I had (laughs) been there before. Because because I understood now that I created my life. I was like, wait a minute, that's something I'm doing. I'm there's something that is in me that's creating that constantly. So let me go back and figure out what is this program that's running me that I, and I don't want it to run me anymore. So I got to go fix that. It's like a bug in the system. Right. And then, so I was able to go do that. And so, and then I, so I stopped doing the things that were causing me to create undesirable results in my life. So then the desirable results could come in. Yeah. It's really interesting because I see a lot of crossover and like, you know, there's, um, I don't know if you subscribe to like a particular philosophy, but like, I see a lot of commonalities with a lot of the more productive philosophies I've encountered. So you, you see a lot of crossover between stuff like stoicism, Buddhism, Taoism. And it's kind of interesting how you came to the conclusion about letting go of the past and focusing what you controlled on at the same time that you realize the finality of your life, which are commonalities of all those views of things. But it's so interesting to see that once you have that ownership, like the trajectory totally changed for you, didn't it? Absolutely. Not only did the trajectory change, it's the self-imposed limiting beliefs that fell off, like that just I was free. It's like getting unchained. The more of this, um, the deeper you get in this understanding of how life is really taking you where you're meant to go. Right. And that you are supported by a universe that really, whatever it is that you want, the universe wants it for you as well. Right. And Mm -hmm. so that between that understanding And the fact that you're realizing that nothing is happening to you, not at the mercy of anything, it just becomes a dance. It becomes a, oh, I wonder why I met this person. I I guess I'll figure it out, right? There's everything is happening. It's like, it's you're watching puzzle pieces come together in your life. And then it becomes fun because it becomes, it's like watching a movie, you know, and you're in it. Yeah. You're looking at the positive side of things and like, it's kind of interesting because it's like, um, this is actually super funny. So I was just looking uh, at this right before for totally different reasons, but um, a quote that I just saw that I really, really liked the other day, which was 
Um, walking away from what you don't want is also a statement of commitment to what you do want. This causes the universe to conspire with you to manifest exactly what you want and deserve. Absolutely. And I will just jump right on that and yeah. talk about, because, you know, I do family law, but I had to do it for myself as well. I recently got divorced um, mm-hmm. after a 13 year marriage. And, you know, we had been together 18 years and then we have two kids and all of that. But there were things that I was not happy with for a very long time. And I kept staying and I kept on, you know, trying to change the person. And it was like, no, you can't change people. People are who they are. Believe them the first time I'm telling you. And then it was more like, okay, thank you for what you came to do in my life. But I've graduated from this relationship and I have to walk away to make space for what I want. I'm not going to sit there, keep continuing to bitch about things that I can't control, that I can't change because You know, you are who you are and you're not who you're not. Right. And I am who I am and I'm not who I'm not. And I'm not changing to stay here. Like, it's just, it's okay. And then it's like, you can, you can, you know, in a healthy space transition to that, which you really want and what really fulfills you. Yeah, hundred percent. Like it's something that like we see a lot with, from the client perspective and also prospects as well. It's like a lot of the times people are hanging on to things that are less than optimal, which prevents them from taking the next step. One of the situations that we see all the time from a marketing perspective is you have a referral base that's good enough. That's one of the things I think keeps people in a rut for longer than anything else. Because I mean, I hate to say it, but for the most part, people don't seek to improve themselves until they have one of those rock bottom moments. I wish there was a way to put that into the bottle because it would make breakthroughs that much easier, but it's just kind of tough for sometimes. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit into the laptop lifestyle lawyer discussion. So So based on this, I mean, with the views that you've had, this is something that I see people on two sides of the, uh, of the conversation. How do you think about work-life balance? Oh, for me, work-life balance is it's what make you have to have it to a certain extent to make life worth you know, like to fill your 20,000 days, right? (laughs) To fill, to really fill your 20,000 days with quality, right? Mm -hmm. With quality, a quality life. So I'll just back up and um, tell you how this whole work-life balance became so important for me. I Mm -hmm. graduated law school in 2008, uh, took the bar in July of 2008, and my bar results were supposed to come out in September And before I found out whether I had passed a bar or not, in August, I found out I had passed a pregnancy test. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) because that's exactly what you do in 2008 when the economy is crashing, right? (laughs) Law school. So, yeah, that was the move. And so um, when I had my son, I just didn't the whole idea of going into a law firm, making partner and all of that just flew out the window. I wanted to be mom. I wanted mm. to be mom, but I also wanted to make money. I didn't want to throw away the, the law degree that I had already worked so hard for and now become, you know, just a, a housewife. And I couldn't because financially, you know, I had to, to pull my weight. And so after being at home with my son for about three months, I was running out of savings and I you know, I just needed to figure out what I was going to do. And going back to work for the attorney that I had been working with was just not something I wanted to do. Um, I was miserable working there uh, the, the whole year that I did work with him. And so 
I actually got approached at a Target by a woman who offered me a facial with Mary Kay Cosmetics. <laughs> and so uh, by the end of my time with her, I was a Mary Kay consultant uh, for a hundred bucks. I always say that I bought my freedom for a hundred dollars. I started the Mary Kay business. Uh, fast forward, I was in Mary Kay for five years, made my first six figures with that company, funded my law firm with that company, drove three free cars, including the pink Cadillac with Mary Kay, earned diamonds in Mary Kay. I did, yeah. I did all that fun stuff. <laughs> and Mary Kay taught me work-life balance. So when I started my firm, the model, the blueprint was off of this direct sales company's blueprint for mm. women being able to work from home and be able to, you know, be mom, but also have the career, et cetera. And so my own entire law practice and what I do was always built around my life. So I didn't have to insert my life into my work. My work got inserted into my life and where it fit. Yeah. And that's really interesting too, because I mean, it, it seems like, you know, just kind of on the, the topic of, of happy coincidences, not going into the partner track where most people who are graduating law firms are aspiring to get to might've been the best thing that ever happened in your law career. Best thing that ever, I tell my son all the time, you saved me from myself. Yeah. You know, Cause now he's, <laughs> he's 12. Yeah. And, you know, recently he had his birthday and he's into bikes and the SE bike and the ride outs and the wheelies and whatnot. And for his birthday, that's what he wanted. He wanted all his buddies to come and for us to go on the um, boardwalk at the beach and um, for him to do that. And I was at the beach. And for the most part, we were technically at my son's birthday party, but for the most part, he was gone. And I sat there really like full. I was so you know, I, I didn't feel like, oh my God, now he's gone. Like, oh my God, I missed out. I didn't do all these things. Oh my God, he's 12. And I didn't miss anything with my kid. I know I, I, I saw everything. I did everything. And so now that he's at this stage in his life where he's kind of starting to, you know, grow his wings, I'm cool with it. It's like, you have my blessings, dude. Do your thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's awesome. And like, I can't imagine so many people who probably, you know, the version of you in the alternate universe that you know, pursued the partner track and maybe, you know, had a kid later or something like that. You might not have been in the same situation, but um, yeah, it's kind of funny. They miss out on the games. They miss out on the recitals. And, they, you know, they, you live with this guilt of, oh, my God, that's really where I want to be, but I can't be there. So, uh, you know, it's like, well, you can create that for yourself. And that's yeah. my message. Yeah. So I want to take a really broad frame on this too, because this is something that I, well, you're the first person I've, I've uh, had on the podcast that has been uh, specifically working with the Mary Kay organization. But as a person, I've been aware of this for the longest damn time because I had one of my really, really good friends and there's no way he's listening to this podcast and saying it was Dave. <laughs> but I was growing up and his mom was an absolute hitter in the Mary Kay organization. She had the affirmations posted. I don't know if she had a pink Cadillac, but she was always very well-dressed. So I think, <laughs> I think some stuff was working out for her, but I think one of the things that's really interesting is that you had basically a five-year gauntlet of direct sales before you even broke ground on your first law firm. So can you tell me about some of the things that you learned um, outside of the work-life balance stuff, but like tactically, what did you learn about building a business from working with Mary Kay? Uh, really everything I know about yeah. business, you know, definitely. Okay. So prioritizing. Having having goals was huge. That was something that 
you know, I learned in married goal setting, goal setting, tracking your way to your goals, breaking down a goal down to the minutia so that, you know, you can really work with almost certainty because you're working with numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So it was almost like, okay, if you want to hold one party a week, you probably need to book five, right? Right, Because four are going to cancel and being okay with that, right? So like understanding the numbers was something that I got from Mary Kay. Being resourceful and low overhead. Low overhead was a huge thing because what did you need? You know, you just, it's, there wasn't a whole bunch to have. It was your computer so you can put your customers and whatnot, you know? And so for my, when I started doing the law firm, it was just like, laptop lifestyle lawyer, like a laptop and a phone. I don't need the office. I realized I never needed an office. That was 12 years ago. Yeah. And some people don't open their law firms because they think they need an office with a receptionist and a couch and, you know, a coffee machine. You don't. So these hurdles that we put in, in business and these, these, uh, this long checklist of things that you need to have in order to get started, I never saw as needed because I was running a fully operational six-figure business without them. So if I could do that in direct sales, why couldn't I do that with the law firm? So that was another one. I mean, it was just countless lessons on also showing up as myself. Mary Kay was very big on you really falling in love with yourself and who you are in the marketplace and who you are as an individual and your value and your worth. And so I never tried to be the lawyer stuffy, like I'm so important lawyer, you know, I'm Kara and I do drop F-bombs from time to time, you know, and I do that and I'm, and I, but I'm also going to do my darnest for your case. And um, you're probably not going to get somebody who's even, who's more committed and who's more like resourceful than I am. I'm going to find a way, make a way because in Mary Kay, you find a way, make a way to, to hit your goals. And so that whole mentality I, I took away from there. Another one, probably one of the best things that I learned in Mary Kay, and if you get nothing from this podcast, it was always to write your six most important things to do list the night before for the next day. Why your six? I don't know. She had the six most important things to do. Uh, And it was always, she always had this whole if you shoot for the moon, you land amongst the star kind of thing. And so I think it also had something to do with that, where if you have six, even if you get to four, you know, but you've only, you worked on the important stuff and those are your income producing activities. So you come in in the morning before you get distracted by the emails, the phone and this and that you have your list, you have your agenda before somebody else has an agenda on you and you tackle those things. And that's how I became so successful because I was always focusing on you know, eating my frog, the, the biggest, you know, most important things that needed to get done for the day to yeah. advance my goal. And that's the thing. There's really no hiding from it when you're in a sales position. Like, and, and that's the thing that I feel like a lot of people don't realize because it's like they're, they're chasing. I, th- I see a lot of early attorneys that are starting out and they're, they're chasing like the Dumbo's magic feather of, oh, I need the office. I need the secretary, probably less for people who launched in the last 12 months. But, oh, I need the website. I need the funnel. I need the email marketing system. I need the practice management software very uh, important thing that I don't hear often, which is a really thing. But I mean, we talk about this all the time, but income producing activities, right? 
when you're in sales, all your activities are income producing activities, right? right? And that's how you get to the point where, you know, with doing a comparatively small amount of activity, if you're doing the essential things, it's able to move you infinitely further. And like, again, the six points thing, it's like, I feel like a lot of people have 50 items in their to-do list and wind up with zero, you know, because right. <laughs> what's moving the needle at the end of the day, because that's the idea you want to move the needle. And if, you know, you're constantly working inside your business you can't work on it. And some of your most important activities are the things that you do to grow the business. And it's, it's the getting the sales and the marketing out there and getting the traffic and the rainmaking. That's really our main job as law firm owners is to drive traffic to the firm. And so if you're sitting there all day working on things that you can outsource to an admin, uh, well, yeah, yeah, there's no, there's, it's pretty much you're going to get the results that those activities give. And if they're $10 an hour results, you can't ask for, you know, six figure, you know, half a million bottom line dollars. It just can't. Yeah. That's the thing too. Even for people who aren't owning their own law firms too, like, you know, what's the value when you're bringing, uh, coming onto a partnership, it's your book. Right. And I also think sometimes too, and like, you know, this is something not necessarily specific to uh, the law, but something you just see in people in general. It's like a lot of the times people do those less important activities, I think, because they're scared of what's going to happen when they do the the activities that they want. I think sometimes it's because they're afraid it's not going to work out. Like people have this idea, oh my God. And like, we had a couple conversations with, with prospects recently and I was doing check-ins for one of our, uh, our sales reps. And basically the person's like, yeah, you know, we're like moving, like, you know, I think we got this handled in house, blah, blah, blah. I, I touched base three months later and it's just like, okay, well, Hey, how's everything been going? It's like, oh yeah, well, you know, I have this, I have this, I got a lot. And that's like, dude, you guys haven't had talked to a single client for like, you haven't, you haven't had a single revenue producing conversation in the last three months. Like <laughs> quit like BSing yourself here. Right. And in their idea, every like in their head, everything is going to work out the moment they try, but they're not willing to let go of the possibility that it won't. And for a person like you or somebody who's succeeding in their law firm or, or in life, it's like you, you probably hesitate a lot less when you're doing something, because at this stage in your career, you know that if you have a speed bump, you can trust yourself to solve it. I think that's one of the super important thing for people that are starting out. Honestly, it's like have the faith to be able to figure it out. Right. And get to your failures fast, fail mm -hmm. fast, you know, find the stuff that's not working fast because the, the sooner you can figure out what's not working, the sooner you can get to what is working. And it's like, you can't avoid, you know, the, the, the growing pains. Like it's part, that's why they call them growing pains. You're growing, you're figuring it out. You're making mistakes along the way. It's part of the process. I think, you know, we're such a culture of fear of failure and like, you got to get it right the first time. And if you don't get it right, somehow your value is attached to that. It's like, no, we're here to play. We're figuring this thing out. You know, I talk about practice. What did you, why do you think you call it a law practice? You're here to practice, you know, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. you're here to practice. And so if you're practicing, Sometimes you're going to hit home runs. Sometimes you're not. You're going to figure it out. And then you're going to grow from that and you get better and better. And that's why your hourly rate can increase because you've gotten better and you are sharper and you're trusted to find the answers faster. And that's why you can charge more as you know, when you're, you're, you're in your five year in or 10 years in compared to when you're a year in. And so like, let go of all of this if you fail out there or you don't do something that it's related to your worth, 
Like, yeah, that's the problem. I think if like, if I had to like speculate a little bit, like I'm just kind of thinking this through as you talk, but it's just like, I feel like the people, the high achievers that find themselves in law, I think tend to be very right-brained in how, or left-brained in how they express their achievement, right? So if you're the person who's been gunning for top of the class, you're magna cum laude, summa cum laude, that person's been used to perfection probably since high school, <laughs> you know? And it's that ability. It's just like, you know, like the people who are honestly moving forward, like year after year, the people who are failing the fastest, I think it's such an important mindset for people to have to either accept, or I guess let go of the perfectionist to be able to actually make progress in the business. Just embrace that. It's everyone who is going after anything significant is they're going through that same journey. They're going, it's just, they're, they're in a different lane. If we're talking about like, you know, you're, you're in a, in a race going somewhere, everyone in their own lane is encountering their potholes, their obstacles, their everyone. So like, even like my son, I remember for me growing up in Haiti, I was an all girl Catholic school. Like for me to have like really good grades, being at the top of my class was super important. I was super high achiever. And I'm not like that with him at all. You know, if he has a B, a C or whatever, you know, sometimes I can, I can even see him put the pressure on himself. I'm like, dude, well, like, it's cool. Like, what didn't you understand? Let's just yeah, yeah. what you it. didn't understand and let's learn it. Right. And yeah, then yeah. if you understood it better, you would probably got an A. So let's just understand what you don't understand. So that next time, you know, <laughs> you encounter yeah. this problem you're able to respond ultimately that's what going to school is it's triggering you know an awareness of things you don't know and then you're finding out what they are and so i don't have any of that on my kids man i don't want them to be perfectionist at all i'm like fail fail big you know screw up please do it right now because you know it's cheaper at 12 than it is. Yeah, for sure. Later on, anyways. <laughs> and to segue into people uh, who you also are uh, responsible for advising, let's talk about the people that are in the program. So, when people are coming to Laptop Lifestyle Lawyer, what are the situations that you find them in? And I guess, like, let's just talk about uh, what where people are at where they're coming to you generally. Um, okay. So, I'll tell you who I created the course for it, like, who I had in mind, my, my avatar, right? Yeah. My avatar was me 12 years ago. So 12 years ago, when I came out of law school, found that I was pregnant, had I had someone out in the market who was teaching some kind of blueprint like this, it would have taken a lot of um, (laughs) mistakes off my learning curve, right? So what I, who I had in mind is the person who is either starting straight out of law school, wanting to start their own thing, or they have a year experience, but, you know, they've already touched the marketplace and realized that corporate is not for them. You know, I say that I'm psychologically unemployable. I think there are many other people who are, but- I might be one of them, yeah. (laughs) I am definitely that. And I'm sure there are other people out there who are psychologically unemployable, but they stay in jobs that are miserable, robbing themselves of their 28,000 days of fulfillment. So I want to put something out to that person and say, look, this is what you got to do, bro. This is, this is the phone system. This is how you want to set up your client management. These are the files you need. This is how you set up your, your document management. This is how you write. These are your foundations. Okay. Boom. Now you're there you can start, you know, driving traffic. And this is some of the stuff. And some of the, you know, some of the resources, I just connect them to, right. I'll right. tell them what, where they are because I've, I found them already. 
You know, I let them know that, you know, where you are right now, a billboard is probably not where you want to go spend your money. Right. And so where your money is best spent so that you don't make the advertising mistakes I made because I did, you know, try some things on the radio or whatnot. That was just like, not necessarily even the crowd I wanted, figuring out where your client is, et cetera. So those are the things that, um, those are the, the, the kinds. And then I also can help the burnt out attorney who has been doing it for many, many years and wants a blueprint to start, you know, his or her own thing. And, has only seen what the big firms do and yeah. doesn't know how to do it a little bit smaller. And so, you know, some of what the big firms do, you need a lot of resources to, to be able to maintain. And if you're just the one guy or the one gal show, you don't really need all of that. And so those people I help. And then I have the PI lawyer playbook that I also help people get into PI. So those are people who already have firms, but want to get into personal injury. Reason why I'm very big on personal injury is because I think that smaller law firms often encounter a cash flow problem. If you're not getting a lot of new business for whatever reason, like COVID hit, right? There's people who just were not getting a lot of business in certain areas of law. Well, if you had a a lot of PI cases in your pipeline, you're still settling cases. You're still making money at all Mm. the time. Like I'm always depositing settlement checks and making my 33 and a third percent. So there's always cash flow from work I did, you know, way back then when. Yeah. Okay. This is super interesting, Kara, because I, this is the first time I didn't know about this program until you told me just now. So I want to rewind my clock, like, uh, for like three or four. I don't know if I ever saw, actually, I think we mentioned this the other day, but my first ever client was personal injury. And as I got into being a little bit more deliberate about our outreach, building up the advertising, the sales team, that kind of stuff, I actually had to write the playbook for how we were evaluating who could be clients, right? And this is back in the day when we were pretty much restricted to Google AdWords. So if we weren't talking about five or 10 grand a month, there wasn't anything we could help people with, right? So one of the things I found, and I actually use this term for my sales team, this may have been very wrong. So <laughs> say this with, uh, with, with, with a caveat, but I said, there's basically two types of firms. There's personal injury firms and there's aspirational personal injury firms. And for us, if we didn't see the wins column, which was, you know, 750, 3 million, blah, 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 then they probably didn't have money in the bank to afford 10 K a month. So I'm really fascinated because the only thing that we ever knew how to do was to help those firms. But that zero to one, and again, I think people, the, one of the things I love about personal injury lawyers from a personality perspective, I think they're the cowboys of law practice. Right. Like <laughs> big hearts, little crazy sometimes, but in a good way. But, um, you know, they, they swing for the fences and I, and I really, really love it. So like if somebody like, you know, let's let's get a little bit granular in that. So what kind of stuff and like, you know, I don't want you to spill any beans and, on trade secrets or anything like that. But like, you know, what are some of the, you know, quick, you know, low hanging fruit things that, that you might be able to help people out with in that in that situation? Oh, um, where to find the client. So, you know, they think a lot of lawyers think that in order for them to be able to get into PI, they've got to compete with the big attorneys and the billboards and all the, you know, the the attorneys who have the $10,000 budgets and all of that. And I've never had to compete with them. Uh, I've been, I've had amazing relationships for constant flow of business with different doctors, with different MRI facilities. I I'm more grassroots. I'm more, you know, connection 
I've always been more connection, right? And I I found I know who my avatar is. I know who my customer is. I so I know where to go find my customer. I'm not trying to get everybody. You know, I'm not trying to get everybody who got into a car accident or everybody who slipped and fell. I know my market and you have to know your market because you have to know yourself as well. You have to know who you want to work with. Yeah, I've, I've worked with people that I didn't like. And so I decided not to, yeah. to, to you know, spend my advertising dollars or my energy to bring those kinds of people in. So I'm so clear on who I want to serve and who I am and where those people are and where I am that I can just directly connect with them through those avenues. Another thing is with PI, you really, really, really got to have a system. It's so workflow-based. PI is so repetitive. It's the same shit every time, right? It's pretty yeah. Unless you're really delving me deep into litigation, which I'm not interested in. I outsource my litigation work because it's not my thing. You know, I, I, I will start a case in litigation, probably take it all the way up to mediation. If I have to go to trial, that's not where I'm best, you know, yeah. using my time. So I know how to do that. I'm not, that is another thing. Don't be a hoarder, right? Sometimes you do have to have like little partnerships here and there so that you can benefit the client best and everybody gets to, you know, eat. I, you know, that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. But very, very important that you have a system, a workflow. Case comes in. This is how the retainer gets handled. This is the first letter that goes out. These are the calls that have to be made every 30 days. So I have that in my client management software. So anyone, any of my case managers, you know, they know what to do on the case. It's not me that's really working the cases. So I can be out there getting more business because I'm not sitting there churning the same repetitive work that PI is. PI is like my 12-year-old can run my PI practice, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's requests for records, it's phone calls, it's things like that, you know, making sure the client's treating like the nitty-gritty of it every day mm-hmm. is not this, this uh, tremendous undertaking. And so it's really my job. I know my function in, in my PI practice. My function is to get cases and my function is to make sure that my process is seamless. And so if I'm not getting cases, I'm probably working on refining my process. Those are, that's Kara's job in this law firm. Everything else, they can they get can, out of here. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know I like to deposit the checks too. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's also fun. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's really interesting though, because yeah, I think it's like, you know, I was was mentioning just kind of like the personality type. It's like, I feel like a lot of the people that I talk to have those natural tendencies and, you know, going full circle of the conversation we were having earlier, being able to let go of the stuff that you don't get energy from allows you to be all in and looping back to another part of the conversation, your important list of tasks you've almost abolished yourself from focusing on the, the, the little things that you don't like. Right. And it's, it's scary to do that for some people. A lot of people like to have that kind of control, but you know, your evidence of what happens when you're able to let go of that. And again, it's not abdicating responsibility. It's effectively delegating, which I'm sure you didn't get right the first time. Right? It's like my, I've gone to a point where I'm so good at this at, at discerning what's not for me, my energetic content in my being will shift if I'm doing something (laughs) that is not in my gift. Like I will feel depleted. I will feel like off. Like I'm, and I'm, I don't want to do it. And it's like, I know someone else can do this. 
well and it doesn't need to be me. And it's I'm very, very quick to delegate. And this is coming from someone who used to hoard all of the tasks. In the beginning, I did everything. I thought that I was the only person who could do everything. So I answered the phones. I did the intakes. I did the work. I did. I, it was insane. And I was depleted. <laughs> I was, yeah, work-life balance probably wasn't fantastic. No, I mean, I was working from home, but I yeah. was working after my kids went to bed. Like I was up and doing like mundane stuff. And then, you know, it was just like, wait a minute, can I pay somebody to do this? And mm-hmm. I think I got into VAs way before VAs were sexy. You know, Mary Kay had the VA stuff going too. Really? Yes. That's something that I learned in Mary Kay, having a virtual assistant like 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 2008 was super early. I think it got on my radar after, I think this is a big coming out party for VAs was a four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which I think was like 2010. So that's like, big time OG status. If you're, if you're doing that in 2008, I was doing that in 2008 because there were women who had been in Mary Kay for many years and understood the support that Mary Kay consultants needed and started their VA companies. And so they were offering that service to only Mary Kay. They were, Mm -hmm. they were former Mary Kay consultants who only serviced Mary Kay consultants who needed that, that support. And so they had customer service uh, systems that they had in place. And Mary Kay was huge on that system, system, systems. And so I implemented systems. And when you have systems that work for you, then you're free to operate in your gift. And you are, you know exactly where you're best needed where you know when you need to show up, you know when somebody else can do it, you understand the task, you understand the work, you understand what you're doing, bird's eye eye view on everything. And it's a different approach. It's a different energy that you're coming from and running this whole thing. Yeah. I also think too, just like the the energy that a person's able to bring to work kind of represents like, you know, your overall level of alignment with things. Cause if it's out of alignment a little bit, there's going to be a little bit of resentment creeping in. You're going to be getting out of bed a little bit less quickly and you know, it's going to inhibit you from doing what you're, you're best at. I want to get super, super, super tactical. So when you, I guess, um, bigger question. So one of the things and I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this new process. Uh, a lot of the times for you know, a lot of business owners that I know, they're the one who's taking things from zero to one. Is that how you look at things? And if so, like, you know, how do you make the determination that it's not something that you want to keep? Like, how, how do you feel out whether it's a process that you want to keep or you want to delegate out? Look, I'm very secure in who I am. I'm mm-hmm. very secure in my talents and my gifts. I know where Kara is best suited yeah, I know where I best fit. I don't try to do everything anymore because I can only do it as good as my lack of talent in that department will take me and it will probably cost me more. You know, I I really am clear that sometimes cheaper is more expensive. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> more, more. Yeah, times, I know, yeah, I've learned that one a few, times, few, times, few, few more times than I'd like to admit as well. <laughs> right. And when I look at the time that it's going to take me to figure out this process, learn it, understand it, it'll probably 
be better for me to pay someone who already knows how to do it mm. and, and delegate it. I do have to have some kind of a big line understanding of what it is. So I will do at least that much due diligence so that I'm not completely delegating something. And I have no idea what this person is, is right out with. Uh, but for me to go in depth and understand something so well before I can delegate it, if that's your question, I'm overdoing that. I'm not taking it from zero to one. I'll take it from zero to a quarter and then I'll delegate yeah, it yeah. from there. <laughs> Well, and also kind of related thing too, because like, I'm sure like, um, like, what are the questions that you're asking to figure out whether somebody has chops for a domain? Like once you have, you know, that baseline knowledge of what you should be looking for, like what kind of questions do you look uh, to ask for people that you might be considering, you know, bringing on to help you out with something? You know, obviously uh, giving me a rundown of if I handed you this problem, what would you do? Yeah. What would you do with this problem? How would you do it? And how is that going to convert? And what's, what value is it that you're going to be bringing to me? And why would it make sense for me to give this task to you? And yeah. so I'm working, I'm talking, I'm in talks right now with this guy, like I told you before, that I'm looking to do this virtual event or whatever. I mean, I could probably figure out and run the whole thing myself, hire someone to do the platform, hire someone for sound. Hire, like I could do it and manage the whole thing, but I'm hiring someone to do the whole damn thing, the management and the getting all of the companies that we're going to need and the third parties to, to, to actually create this, this event. Why? Because I don't have the time to take away from rainmaking, from working with my students to go and put time there. We all have 24 hours in a day, right? I yeah. say Oprah and Beyonce have 24 hours in a day and they <laughs> are, they are nailing delegation because there's yeah. no way these women are doing all of this stuff. They're delegating. They have people doing stuff for them that they can run, you know, she has the network and the this and the that, right? And so it's letting the person that is going to service you or help you tell you what it is that they're bringing to the table. And it, it common sense, will it will make sense. It either yeah. makes sense or it doesn't make sense. They either have the answer or they don't. Like, for example, if I'm hiring a case manager in my PI practice, the first thing I say to her is I'm like, okay, cool. I give you a case. I give you a retainer. What do you do? Yeah. What's success look like? You know? <laughs> well, well, tell me what, what's your next step. I hand you a signed retainer with a client who's now on board with the law firm for personal injury. What do you do next? By the third word out of her mouth, she either knows what she's doing or she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. You can make those decisions pretty quickly. And like, it's, it's really interesting to kind of take a, a little bit of a, a step out of, of what you're saying. It's really interesting. I think a lot of people pay lip service to the concept of opportunity cost, but the decisions that you're making, just even in this example, Kara, just like, you know, you know, that any minute that you spend on figuring this out is going to be taking away from something that you're already at level 10 at remaking for your practice or other stuff that you're doing within the business and like past a certain point. I mean, look, I think DIY works when you got more time than money, but you know, <laughs> once you get off to the races, that's not the case for a lot of people. <laughs> no. And, and it's okay. Yeah. I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm not looking to perform, you know, brain surgery or dental surgery on myself. I could probably read enough books to figure it out, but I can do a lot. We all can do, we have the capacity to do a lot of things like, you know, what you do, for example, mm. right? I could probably figure out 
what it is that you're doing with regards to traffic online and this and that and say, so, I'm a smart girl. Yeah. But do I really, first of all, I don't care enough to learn, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not my 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 gift it's not something that i'm ever gonna do twice i can't really convert that investment of time into much because i can only do it for my firm i'm not turning into you know an advertising agency so let me tell you the things that i will take myself from zero to to like i said a quarter right yeah um, i knew that i wanted to create courses to support lawyers etc so it made sense for me to go to, um, I went to a course called Train the Trainer in uh, LA, where for four days, that's what we learned, how to create them, how to outline, how to do that. It made sense, right? So I know how to do it. And so then I was able to come back and then have an outline and then get the resources I needed to make it happen. And I was able to oversee the whole thing. So it came together. Same thing with funnels. I know I want, I wanted funnels. I get that funnels is the way to get my courses out. So I went to a click funnels conference, um, Russell Brunson, all that cool stuff. I went, looked at it, this and that. And then I came back and then I hired people to do the funnel. I didn't sit to create it. I knew that I didn't have the time for it, but I understood enough of it that I could now, it made sense that I was going to have that. So that to me is, is so important that you just, understand, like have a bird's eye understanding of what it is that you need, what is the next thing that's going to move the needle. And then the parts of it that you feel like you got to do, but really, do I really have to do it? I have to ask myself all the time, like, do I really, really, really have to do it? Because if not, it's going to someone else who's going to do it faster than me, you know, and better than me probably. Yeah. That is a fantastic answer, Kara. And I also think we're at a really good point because uh, we've got some energy right now. And I think I want to transition into for people who like what they've been hearing and are interested in getting into your world, what's the best way to get in touch? LaptopLifestyleLawyer.com is uh, the site where I kind of take my little hub that has all things uh, Laptop Lifestyle Lawyer. Uh, my courses are there. My coaching services are there. They can also follow me on LinkedIn, the gram, Kara uh, Vaval Official. Uh, and that's it. I'm, I'm there. If you Google me, you'll find me. You know, there's, <laughs> you'll find me. Kara Vaval. And yeah, you'll find me. Okay, fantastic. We'll get that in the show notes for everyone who's listening. But um, Kara, thank you so much. For anyone of the listeners, I really want you guys to take out of this episode what you need to be doing. Kara's whole story is really illustrative of thinking about things from first principles. What do you really need? Not what do you need to carry over from the past? And I want you guys to think about that. I think this is one that's definitely worth the realism. I know I'll be re-listening to it. But thank you so much, Kara. And for everyone else, I will see you next week, Tuesday at 8 a.m. Eastern on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.